And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack, where we talk balls. This is episode 59, and it could not get more straightforward in this episode. We are going to talk about college football, the NFL, and then I cannot believe I even need to talk about this, but the NBA and China and democracy have all found their way to weave themselves into one storyline. So I will briefly touch on that at the end just because of how insane it is that it's even an issue that people are taking issue with it. But that's the world we live in now. So right off the bat, I have to remind you and want to encourage you and appreciate you doing this, but like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff on iTunes and or SoundCloud, and feel free to share this with any of your loved ones, your friends, your compadres, anything like that. It is greatly appreciated on this end by the recorder of this podcast, so... Without further ado, episode 59 of Carson Zach Podcast is going to get underway with some college football talk. So last week, week six of the college football season, I you could say not really many surprises. The one big surprise came on Friday night when the 18th ranked UCF Knights went to Cincinnati and Cincinnati just outplayed them. Cincinnati played physical, played extremely well. Uh, Desmond Ritter in the game, 149 yards, two touchdowns, and what Cincinnati seems to be able to do, uh, control the line of scrimmage on both sides with Warren, the running back, for he had 133 carry, 133 yards on 23 carries, excuse me, and Cincinnati just made big plays when they needed to, and like I said, controlled both sides of the line of scrimmage with their physicality that is sort of becoming what they're known for under Luke Fickle, and that was able to power them past UCF. So happy for all my Bearcat fans out there. Uh, Continuing on, we have Michigan State, who was 25th in the country, that went to number four, Ohio State. And this game, as an Ohio State fan and trying to look at it from just – an objective view you could say Ohio State struggled in this game which it did at times early on but then you could look at it as also from the Ohio State fans perspective as okay they struggled and they still put up a 24 point win against a top 25 team a previously um, one loss team at the time one of the Better rushing defenses in the country, and J.K. Dobbins goes for 172 yards on the ground. So, Fields, 206 yards through the air, two touchdowns. He also added a rushing touchdown as well. So, a lot to be 
encouraged about as an Ohio State fan. I mean, Fields, even on the ground for himself, had 61 rushing yards. Master Teague had 90 yards on the ground after 14 attempts. So, again, this is pretty simple to me. I wasn't very concerned about this game going into it and was a little concerned with how Ohio State started. But I, up to this point, about the best test they've seen and sort of expected this, them to come out and just be able to find a weakness. I thought it was going to be the speed, but ultimately it was wearing Michigan State's front seven down and opening up running lanes for J.K. Dobbins. And Ohio State is, I can guarantee you this, they are going to beat the shit out of the bye week this weekend. I Probably an unprecedented victory for the Ohio State program is coming this week. Um, Continuing on down, another Big Ten game that was just pretty boring. Uh, You had Michigan, who was 19th in the country. They hosted 14th ranked Iowa. It was 10-3, and it was 10-3 from the second quarter on. Michigan's offense is just... Is so out of sync. They're not having big plays. They're not. There's no cohesiveness in anything that they're doing on offense, and it's hard to fathom them really turning it around. The big positive, I guess, you could take away from this: uh, forcing three turnovers on Stanley, the quarterback for Iowa, did Michigan's defense. He had three interceptions, limited that, and I'll be honest, Iowa. I don't know a ton about, but. I know that Stanley has played pretty well throughout this year and Michigan's defense was able to get him into tough situations and force turnovers, which is a bit of an improvement from what they've been doing. But, I mean, I'm trying to be nice to Michigan here as best as I can, but it's just not really working. Another big game that happened in the college football world was the SEC. You had Auburn, who was 7th in the country, going to 10th, ranked Florida. Florida, uh, P. Ryan was a difference for them this entire game. 14 carries, he had 130 yards and a touchdown. Trask left the game for a little bit, but came back in. He, on the day, had 234 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, The big news in this was how... Florida's defense was able to really impact the game, especially with Bo Nix's play. Bo Nix only completed 11 passes out of 27 for 145 yards. Did have a touchdown, but three interceptions on the day. He, To me, this was the game where he looked like a true freshman. And you can attribute that to playing in the swamp. You can attribute that to how well Florida's defense played. And they did play a very good game. But he, Bo Nix played awful in this game and I think it was a combination of all those sort of things um that's pretty much it I don't think you can still even take Florida serious as a college football playoff contender just because they do have a lot of tough games coming up and they're sort of in that second tier to me in the SEC that the like Alabama and Georgia that top tier LSU I guess you could throw them in that top tier right now this year as well but then there's that second tier of like Florida Auburn Texas A&M Kentucky no Kentucky's not in it I'm just bullshitting but Florida is in that second tier and I don't foresee this year being the year that they make that jump uh, not really much else happened last week in college football um, one thing to note though in a Pac-12 matchup and a bit of a Pretty one-sided 
dominant games for Stanford. They upset number 15, Washington. So I was high on Washington this past week, but they could not get it done. We now move on to week seven of the college football season. And one thing that jumps right out to me about this when I'm open up the no free ads but the ESPN app to look at the games and the slates and everything like that you have the 20th ranked Virginia Cavaliers going to Miami Miami two and three on the year and Miami is a two-point favorite uh I don't see that at all the home field advantage isn't there for Miami uh Virginia's defense is one of the tops in the country Perkins for Virginia is exactly what he thought he was one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country it's it'd be very surprising to me to see Virginia not walk out of this game with a victory but apparently that just doesn't seem to be on the minds of ESPN continuing on with another uh, conference game on Friday you have Colorado going to 13th ranked Oregon I think this is going to be a better game than people expect Colorado has been solid all year um montez for them at quarterback 1400 yards 10 touchdowns two interceptions on the ground uh fontenet for him for colorado 392 yards and four touchdowns um on the opposite side of the field you know what you're going to get with oregon a steady dose of justin herbert he's got 1300 yards on the year uh 15 touchdowns to only one interception so he has looked as advertised after that first game against auburn to me, I think this is an Oregon win, but in a much closer game than what people are expecting. So right now that line is 20 and a half. Again, I'm not advocating to go for you to go out and put money on Colorado or in the previous game, Virginia. But I'm just saying, to me, those lines seem way too little in Virginia's case and way too much in this case for Oregon. Next, we continue on to the slate of Saturday games, and we'll start with a hometown game. You have Arkansas going to Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky the favorite in this. Still not sure who's going to be playing quarterback for the Wildcats, whether it's going to be Lynn Bowden or if it's going to be Sawyer Smith. It's going to be real interesting to see how they handle this quarterback situation. Uh, Lynn Bowden played quarterback previously in high school. He's an extremely dynamic playmaker. You saw a little bit of him playing quarterback against South Carolina in garbage time, and he looked okay, but that was against probably second and third stringer, so don't really know. And Arkansas isn't that great of a team, but they do have good players. Akeem Boyd on the year for them at running back. He's got 483 yards and three touchdowns. Uh... I think there'll be a short leash for whoever starts at quarterback for the Cats. And if after I say three or four drives, things aren't clicking, the guy that was the backup is going to be thrown in, whether it be Lynn for Sawyer or Sawyer for Lynn. And Kentucky's defense needs to show up a lot more than it has in the past couple weeks. And if they can do that, I don't think it's really going to matter who is at quarterback for the Cats, but... Right now, that's a huge question mark. Ultimately, though, I do think just Kentucky, which you don't really say this a lot, but I think Kentucky is just the better team, and they can, with their talent, somehow find a way to beat Arkansas on Saturday. Um, A big, big 12 matchup 
the Red River rivalry is also this Saturday. You have six-ranked Oklahoma uh, facing number 11, Texas. I think this is a real big statement game for Oklahoma. To me, it's sort of been Jalen Hurts the first week against Houston. He had that big game, and everybody was buzzing and talk about him. And he's continued to have big games, but nationally, he's just getting slid down for the coverage of Alabama, the coverage for Clemson, occasionally Ohio State, uh, Georgia. But on a big stage this Saturday where the eyes will be on him in the noon game, I think this is an extremely big a statement game possibility for Jalen Hurts and the rest of Oklahoma and to hopefully that revamped Oklahoma defense can maybe take a step forward here and show that they are actually better than what they have been in the past years. So I think there's going to be a close game. It always is. It's a intense rivalry game. But ultimately, I think Jalen Hurts has a huge game. I think C.D. Lamb has a huge game as well. And I think Oklahoma propels themselves past Texas. And this one... Next, nothing uh, that I don't know a lot about to break this down, but Memphis, 23rd in the country, undefeated, goes to Temple. Temple is a very physical team and plays extremely well and is coached fantastically. That's not even a word. Is coached very well. So, again, I don't think that... Well, yeah, I do. I think Temple, they went and they upset Maryland. I think Temple could maybe pull off that same deal where they upset the undefeated team coming into Temple. So just keep an eye on that one as well. Uh, continuing on, in the SEC, you have Alabama going to Texas A&M. I just think Alabama is too good at all the skill skill positions. Their speed is going to really bother Texas A&M. You could, I think this is probably going to be a carbon copy of the Texas A&M-Clemson game where Kellerman is going to try and complete these short passes and get his guys out in space, but there's really not going to be that much space because of the closing speed and the athleticism of Alabama's defense. And on offense, I expect Alabama to be able to use their physicality, and if that doesn't work, their speed with their skill positions at receiver and how deep they are is far superior to what Texas A&M's is. Uh, the only thing I could see happening here is maybe they get off, Texas A&M gets off to a fast start, and Kyle Field is into it, and that once they're into it, even if they're not, it's one of the hardest places to play in all of college football. If that is the case, then Texas a might have a chance, but I just don't foresee that really happening. Next in the ACC, you have Florida State going to Clemson. I think this is a big statement game for uh, Trevor Lawrence. I think this is the week where he reminds everybody, like, holy shit, this is the guy that went and beat Alabama in the college football championship game last year and pretty much demolished them. I think we can expect a big game out of Trevor Lawrence this week as the Tigers from Clemson beat the Seminoles from Florida State. In the Big Ten, you have Michigan State going to Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is going to continue to roll. I think Michigan State still might be licking their wounds a little bit from Ohio State last week. But a good matchup that you can see from potentially, I understand last week Michigan State's run defense was a little lackluster. And that was against J.K. Dobbins and taking nothing away from him. But Jonathan Taylor is 
a more talented back. I'm not afraid to say that. But maybe Michigan State's defense comes out and they feel disrespected after last week and they are able to slow down and stifle Jonathan Taylor a little bit and force uh, Wisconsin's quarterback um, Cohen to Cohen. Cone, however you say his last name, I don't freaking know, to make some plays, but he's looked solid on the year as well. So, and especially it being at Wisconsin, that helps them too. So, I expect Wisconsin to pretty handedly beat Michigan State. To me, a another upset game that has that possibility. You have Washington State going to Arizona State in the Pac-12. Arizona State's extremely young, but they have. Played extremely well so far this year. Herm Edwards is looking like last year he looked like a good hire. This year he looks like an even better hire, having them ranked 18th right now. Washington State on a two-game slide, so maybe this is the game they can turn it around. I think potentially they could just could be a little bit closer than what people are expecting. Let's see. Continuing on down, you have USC going to Notre Dame. The, who is ninth in the country in a big matchup? I think, I think just Notre Dame's physicality, the way they can run the ball is going to help a lot, and I think Ian Book is going to make enough plays that Notre Dame wins this one. It'll probably be close for a little bit, seeing as it is the rivalry game for Notre Dame and for USC. But in the end, I think Notre Dame and Ian Book have a big game, and they beat USC. Another Big Ten matchup, uh, top 20 teams. You have Penn State, 10th in the country, going to 17th ranked Iowa, coming off the very dismal um, performance against Michigan. Penn State looked pretty stagnant in the second half against Purdue last week, which is a bit concerning after they exploded in the first half. And quietly, uh, Penn State is one of the more dynamic offenses and one of the more surprising teams in the country, I feel like, so far this year. Oh, boy. Going to Iowa scares me a little bit, but I do think Penn State is just overall the better team, and they will get it done. Uh, against, I guess since I talked about UK, I need to talk about U of L. Louisville coming off a big win against Boston College last week goes to 19th ranked, extremely surprising, undefeated Wake Forest. Wake Forest, um, betting on Wake Forest has been one of the most fun and rewarding things for me this season because I've got to watch. I've gotten to watch this team that no one at the start of the year really. Gave him a chance to do a lot, but Newman for at quarterback for Wake Forest, uh, fifteen hundred yards, fourteen touchdowns, only three interceptions. Walker on the ground for Wake Forest, three hundred eighteen yards and two touchdowns. They their style of running is extremely patient. Um, it's to me, it's just going to be hard for Louisville to go in there and consistently, I think, be able to stop probably the second best offense that the team has faced behind Notre Dame from the first season. This might even be, this Wake Forest team may even be a better offense than Notre Dame's. You could argue it at times. So I think Wake Forest does come out on top against Louisville next week, well this coming week. Uh, Another SEC big matchup, back-to-back weeks for Florida. You have 7th ranked, the Florida Gators going to 5th ranked LSU Tigers. 
I just think that Joe Burrow and this offense, another primetime game chance for them to shine. Um, they're going to do that. Joe Burrow is going to put up big numbers, and Florida will not be able to keep up with them, and LSU's defense will be able to get after Trask and potentially make that offense one-dimensional and take away P. Ryan in the run game and ultimately aid LSU into the victory over Florida. I think this game could ultimately kind of get a little ugly as well. I think LSU was going to go out and make a statement win against Florida this week. And then a scary matchup for my what is proving right now, besides to be true, uh, UCF not the best Power 5 team not the not best power five team i was claiming it was boise state all along this year um they've proved me right so far they're undefeated five and zero on the year 14th in the country but they welcome hawaii and hawaii can put up points in bunches extremely quickly there is a possibility it scares me because like i said hawaii can get points at will and at times this Boise State offense has fluttered they put up big numbers last week against UNLV but it's UNLV I would hope they would do that um it's a late game it's 10 15 on ESPN 2 Saturday it's I'm gonna try and watch it i like both of these teams, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, hopefully, Boise State can continue to prove me right and be that best uh, non-Power 5 team and further their undefeated season to 6-0, and beating Hawaii this Saturday. Alright, now that college football is out of the way, we are going to look at Week 6 in the NFL. It gets started Thursday night as the extremely banged up Giants. I think that's the best way to describe them. Go to the Patriots. You hear both the teams and you just know the outcome already. It being in Foxborough only solidifies it even more. Saquon Barkley, I think, is going to try and play a little bit, but he'll probably be limited coming off his ankle injury <clears throat> Excuse me, a couple weeks ago. And the receiving core for Daniel Jones and the Giants looks to be extremely limited their number one really not even receiver just pass catcher and Evan Ingram seems to be a little banged up and may maybe not won't even play the secondary and that defense for the Giants is very concerning as well I'm giving you a whole list of options and reasons why the Giants are going to lose but really like I said you hear the two team names and it's just quite obvious the Patriots are going to beat the Giants on Thursday night now we go to Sunday for the full slate of Week 6 games. The Seahawks go to the Browns. The Browns coming off a very dismal, embarrassing, whatever you want to call it, loss on Monday Night Football to the 49ers where Baker Mayfield only completed a handful of passes for 100 yards and two interceptions. Um, after their impressive performance against the Baltimore Two weeks ago, they couldn't continue the momentum that they had. The Seahawks are continuing to roll after beating the, uh, who are they called? The Rams on Thursday Night Football last week. I just think, uh, okay, here. Seahawks going east. Browns really needing a win. I'll go out and say it. The Browns are going to win this game. Yep, there you go. That's what's going to happen. Moving on, you have the Steelers, who is who are going to be starting third-string quarterback um, Devin Hodgin. Hod, how do you even say the guy's name? Devin Ha. 
Hodgland. Hodlin. It's Devin Hodges. Excuse me. That's how you say his name. They go two after a very tough game, which they sort of lucked their way into. But the defense for Pittsburgh, forcing turnovers left and right on Lamar Jackson last week. They do fall to Baltimore, though, this last week. And then the Chargers losing to a much better than what the record shows uh, Broncos team last week. I think... It's a rebound game for the Chargers, and I just think Hodges is going to show. He's third string for a reason, and they really brought him in just as a camp arm and a roster spot for them to have, did the Steelers. And I think that's really going to show, and I think the Chargers are going to be able to get the victory against Pittsburgh this Sunday. The Panthers go to the Buccaneers, and I don't care who the Panthers play. If Christian McCaffrey continues to play like he has so far through the first uh, five games for the Panthers, they're going to be in a lot of close games with a lot of teams because he has been so good. So I am going to take the Panthers over the Buccaneers in this one just because I don't think the Buccaneers are going to be able to stop Christian McCaffrey. And Kyle Allen for the Panthers has played extremely well since coming in for Cam Newton. Continuing down the list, you have the Texans going to the Chiefs. The Texans, after an offensive explosion last week against the Falcons, going to the Chiefs, who off a surprising loss at home to the Colts with Patrick Mahomes hurting his ankle. Maybe the Chiefs are going to get Tyreek Hill back. That'd be huge for that offense, and especially Patrick Mahomes. I just This is going to be an extremely high-scoring game. Not a lot of defense, I feel like, is going to be played. But if the ankle is still an issue for um, Patrick Mahomes, that is going to really limit his playmaking ability because he's so good at extending plays and scrambling. I mean, he had 44 yards covered in one play. Um, That was the most by a quarterback on a run, on a pass that he scrambled for so far on a touchdown this year. Uh, To me... I think it's not very likely that the Chiefs lose two games at home in a row, so I'm going to take the Chiefs, and I think a week of rehab and everything for Mahomes' ankle is going to be what they need. In Moving on, in what is probably going to be the most exciting and like must-watch game, of this NFL Sunday, you have the under the winless, not the undefeated, the winless Redskins at 0 and 5, going to the winless Dolphins at 0 and 4. I think the Dolphins are going to break through in this one. There is a ton of turmoil with the Redskins after they fire Jay Gruden, and that whole situation is a clusterfuck. At least the Dolphins have a head coach and know who their quarterback is and have some pieces on each side of the ball. And maybe this is the week the Dolphins put together, put those pieces together and get the victory. Next, you have the Eagles going to the Vikings. I think the Eagles and Carson Wentz, the way they've been playing since the game at Lambeau and the defense has stepped up. And I granted, they did play the Redskins last week, and that's probably why they did have such the defensive output. But maybe they can continue that momentum they've had on that side of the ball and go into Minnesota and be able to get after Kirk Cousins, force him to beat him and slow down Dalvin Cook on the ground. I think they can do that, and I think Carson Wentz is going to have a big game as well against the Vikings defense, and the Eagles are going to, up, uh, not upset, but beat Minnesota. Actually, it would technically be an upset looking at the line. Minnesota's favored by three points. Next, you have the Saints going to the Jaguars. 
I can... I could see the Jaguars potentially winning this game. They're sort of desperate for a win, sitting at 2-3. and three. But the Saints, they'd been, they've been so good in every facet of the game since Drew Brees has gone out. And their defense has played lights out since that happened. So they could be a long day for Gardner Minshew and Leonard Fournette and the rest of that offense for the Jaguars. Playing both sides here, but... Like I said, I could see this being a close game and having uh, Jacksonville win. Ultimate, I mean, Jacksonville is favored by a point here. So apparently Vegas thinks they're going to too. But uh, like I could see Jaguars winning, but ultimately I do think the Saints end up winning. Next year, the Bengals go to the Ravens. I think the Ravens defense is going to cause fifths for Andy Dalton on that offense. And I think the abysmal defense of the Bengals is going to have a real hard time stopping the Ravens, so the Ravens are going to get that win. Next, you have the 49ers undefeated. One of the two teams that are undefeated in the NFL going to the Rams sitting at 3-2. and two. I think this is a big, big game for the Rams early on in the year. I think last week, they, I know they had a chance to beat the Seahawks and they couldn't get it done. Uh, it's be imperative for them to win so they don't give up more ground in the NFC West. And I think they do end up... I think the defense answers the challenge, um, forces and turnovers, finally shows up after two back-to-back weeks where it's been lacking, and the Rams do end up beating the 49ers. Next, you have the Falcons going to the Cardinals. I will take the Falcons in this one in a close game. I just think that... Their offense is way better than what the 49ers, not the 49ers, just talked about the 49ers, than what the Cardinals. The Falcons' offense is much better than what the Cardinals' defense has to offer, and it's about time that that offense for the Falcons clicks. It doesn't do it very often, um, and they've yet to play really a complete game, barring that Eagles game on Sunday Night Football a couple weeks back. But this could be that week for them, and I think the Falcons do go to Arizona and win. Next, you have the Titans going to the Broncos. This is going to be a probably boring game, low-scoring game, and I think the Broncos do end up getting it done. Um, again, they should probably be 3-2, and two. At this point in the season, a couple real late last second tough losses on the record so far. Um, last week they showed that when they put it all together, they can be a formidable tough team to beat as they beat the Chargers last week in L.A. So I'm going to take the Broncos over the Titans in this one. Next you have the Cowboys going to the Jets. The Cowboys coming off two. Pretty bad losses um, against two of the better teams in all of the NFC and the NFL. Last week, coming off the loss to the Packers, where Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones uh, really just had their way with the Cowboys' defense. Uh, ultimately, though, if Sam Darnold doesn't play, I really don't think the Jets have much of a chance, and there still is that in question if he will play. So I think the Cowboys... Get back to their winning ways and beating up on lesser teams so far this year as they do beat the Jets. And then the Monday night game is a very interesting NFC North matchup. You have the Lions at 2-1-1 going to the Packers, seen at 4-1. This, to me, if the Packers continue to run the ball as well as they have so far with Aaron Jones... And maybe Devontae Adams comes back. Uh, He still has the toe or foot injuries so far. But 
he looks like he could be on track to play. If that's the case, I Packers by 100. If it's not the case and he is out, but they're still able to run the ball as effectively and as well as they did the past couple weeks um, with Aaron Jones, then I still think it's the Packers by at least 25 or 50. So the Monday night game, I see the Packers winning that over the Lions. Alright, so that is the conclusion of the college football and NFL talk. Now, at the start of this episode, I said I was going to talk a little bit about the NBA and the Rockets and China and democracy. So, in summary, um, the general manager for the Rockets, Daryl Morey, sent off a tweet and it reads, Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And tweet has been deleted, but Chinese authorities have been challenged by months of protest in Hong Kong and they've China has made it clear that businesses as usual with the league uh, of the NBA will cease totally until the league uh, just distances themselves as far away from possible um, from Mori's statement okay I understand China is probably the it is the fastest growing market for the NBA and the Rockets are the most popular team probably in China just because of Yao Ming being there and everything like that and how they associated with that. But uh, my goodness, who, God forbid that a an American uses free speech to support democracy, which the last time I checked, democracy is pretty pretty dope. It's worked out pretty good since we implemented it in 1776. God forbid that he does that. And now the NBA is in a total clusterfuck of a situation because if they back out and they lose the uh, market in China, they lose a shit ton of money and if they discipline Mori or even like anything like that then they sort of are just selling out and being like yeah the money is pretty much worth the backlash that we're gonna face and we're kind of okay with communism and stuff like that as long as we're getting our share of the pie and money and everything um it's just sort of bullshit all around and uh it's mind-boggling to me that uh this is even an issue that an american citizen supports democracy and i get he probably shouldn't have even done that it's totally okay to support things like that and i don't think he's even in, in the wrong for supporting something like that maybe calling to attention it the way he did um there could you could say there's some issue with that but i mean for christ's sakes um Either way, however the NBA handles this, it is more than likely going to be a lose-lose for them. And then, I didn't talk about this at all in the intro, but it's been a bit of a news story um, this past weekend where Snoop Dogg went to Kansas's, um, like the Big Blue Madness that Kentucky does, their Midnight Madness thing that gets the fans excited, like an open practice scrimmage of the Kansas basketball team. Um, Snoop Dogg was there with... 
pole dancers and didn't perform edited versions of his songs and things like that and was referencing weed and all this other stuff. No fucking shit. When you hire Snoop Dogg, you know what you're getting with Snoop Dogg. I understand maybe they could have ran by the performance, what Snoop Dogg had in mind uh, with the pole dancers, but, like, did they not see? Like, did Kansas Athletics not see what they were setting up? Like, Snoop Dogg probably rehearsed or at least did a sound check or a walkthrough or something like that to where Kansas Athletics could have seen that and pulled the plug on that or asked them not to do that. And... For them, Kansas Athletics and Kansas University to get upset with Snoop Dogg and all this other shit. Uh, Or maybe Kansas Athletics was just like, fuck it. I know we have these allegations against us. We're in the midst of um, dealing with the FBI and the NCAA and the sanctions that could potentially come down on us. And we're just going to lean heavy into being like the bad boys, the bag droppers in college basketball. And they're like, fuck it, Snoop Dogg, go do whatever you want to do. We'll take the backlash. Whatever it was, just idiots on Kansas's part for them to even be upset with Snoop Dogg at all. Like... All this falls back onto Kansas, 1,000%. There's no chance in hell Snoop Dogg didn't either do a rehearsal or a sound check where you saw that or you saw the dancers or if you are just, like, have some common sense, Kansas. Look up his, like, performances recently on tours or things like that and see that there's probably going to be these things. And just be smarter about it. This falls completely back onto you, not on Snoop Dogg. Obviously, if they... I mean, they probably did ask, hey, can you perform edited versions of the songs? Which is a very reasonable request. And if Snoop Dogg just blatantly disregarded that request then yeah that sort of goes on him and I could see that happening and that's not like a slight at Snoop Dogg that's just probably how he is and how he carries himself and everything like that I understand that but every other part of this goes on to the Kansas University for being just total dumbasses about that situation all right now that all that is out of the way um that is going to conclude episode 59 of Carson Sack Podcast. It was a shorter one today. It was very straightforward. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week with episode 60 and the mail sack and maybe a few other listener-involved things for a milestone. I'm doing air quotes about that. Milestone 60th episode. So keep your eyes peeled on my social media pages for interactive fan uh, post or anything like that for next week's episode. I want to thank you again for listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit. And like I said at the beginning, feel free to share this with somebody. It uh, goes a long way and it means a lot for me. So thank you so much for listening to episode 59 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as always, as we end here, we will be seen. It's the one and only you know what happened with the D-R-E Yeah, yeah, yeah You know the West Coast is back for all you suckers So put something in there Put it in there Yeah, no Top dog, fight them all, yeah, I'm burning it up D-P-G-C, you should be turning it up C-P-T-L-B-C, yeah, we hooking back up And when they bang this in the club, baby, you got to get up